I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word. Join me once again in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 26. We will pick up where we left off last week at verse 34 and work our way through most of chapter 27 this morning as we look at a message entitled, A Tale of Two Sons. As we prepare to look at God's Word together this morning, have a question for you. It will say a lot as you answer this question. How many of you, if you are going to get in a vehicle to go somewhere, you want to be the one driving? Raise your hand. Want to be the one driving? Keep your hands up. Keep them up. Just look around at the moment. These are the control freaks in the crowd. (laughs) Amen, right? I'm right there with you. Now, if you don't really care who drives, put your hand up. Don't really care. These are the people, look around, they need ambition in their lives, right? <laughs> Go get something. You know, it's funny, when I was growing up, we had driver's ed, and the interesting thing in the vehicle that they did driver's ed in is they had the regular steering wheel gas brake on the driver's side, But then a fascinating thing, on the instructor side, they also had a steering wheel and a brake. And you know why. Because teenage drivers are horrible. Brains aren't fully developed, don't know when to stop when they're supposed to, think they can go when they're not supposed to, turn too sharp. Some of y'all are walking through that. Our oldest daughter is getting into that mode here in just a little bit, and we're going to figure this thing out. But what's interesting is that as I think about that, I often think for us as followers of Jesus, we are good with God being in the driver's seat of our lives and in this world in which we live. But in the back of our minds, we kind of think it's really better if I have a steering wheel and a brake on my side of the car as God is driving, just in case. He goes in a direction that I don't want to go just in case the way he's going in the direction is not the way I would prefer. In fact, I don't know if you have thought this in your life at times, but kind of sit back in moments and think, maybe God needs my help. Sometimes we think prayer is simply informing God of what's going on as if he doesn't already know. But then sometimes we think maybe we should take the reins back And we're going to see in the text this morning that exact thing play out. To watch as God's plan is unfolding, even the people of God trying to grab the reins, trying to grab the steering wheel, trying to hit the brake as God's plan is moving forward. And what I'm encouraged about is that in all of that, God is still in control. And regardless of how we respond, God is still in control. 
want to read the text for us. Not the full part of it. We'll pick that up in the end. But I want to pick up in verse 34. Read those last two verses of chapter 26. And then the first 29 verses of chapter 27. And then we'll dive in this morning to the text. This is God's word. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies." But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob." So he went in to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. 
And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in God's word. In every moment of every day, God is at work in this world accomplishing his plan for his glory. In every moment of every single day, God is at work in this world accomplishing his plan for his glory. There's a theological term that's used to frame what I just said. It's the term providence. It simply means that God is in control all the time. There's never a moment where God is caught off guard by what is happening in this world around us or in your life in particular. The scripture is very clear that in every moment of every single day, God is at work accomplishing his plan in this world. In fact, we see it Throughout the pages of Scripture, God is in control of the universe in which we live. God is in control of the physical world in which we live. God is in control of the affairs of nations. God has the king's hand in his heart, the Scripture reminds us. God has every hair numbered on your head, and if you don't have hair, he knows that too. He is in control. And what that reminds us is this important reality. God is never in need of help. And he is never thwarted by opposition. Think about that for a second. God is never in need of help. The scripture reminds us of that consistently. God's arm is not short as if he cannot accomplish what he desires to accomplish. God is never in need of help and it doesn't matter who or how many seek to oppose God and his plan. He is never thwarted as he accomplishes his plan. For us as followers of Jesus who are here this morning, God doesn't need us, but the wonderful thing is that God chooses to use us as he accomplishes his plan. 
God invites us into what he is doing and says, join me as I am at work. And then as believers, we never have to worry that God's plan will not be accomplished. Regardless of how dark things may seem at times, we never have to wring our hands and wonder whether or not God is in control because He is. You may have come in this morning and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, of receiving forgiveness for your sins, of being brought into the family of God. And you look this morning and say, Pastor, help me understand why it's important that I take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'd simply submit this to you. God is in control. He is in control of this world in which we live, and the promise that He has made is at the end of this world as we know it, one thing will happen, and that is every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You will either make that confession now or you will make it one day as an enemy of God. Do not delay trusting in God today as your Savior. As we look at what's transpiring in the text this morning, as we think about God being in control regardless of what may be going on around us, what we see in the text is absolute disaster on display dysfunction at every level you could imagine within one family and in fact a family that God says he's going to use in an incredible way that through this family through Isaac and through Jacob we're going to find out God will bless the nations and yet as we dive into the text things don't look very good at all We saw last week that throughout most of Isaac's life, he was a light in the darkness. But at the end of Isaac's days, things don't continue in that direction. In fact, I want you to look at verse 34 and 35. It sets the tone for what's coming in chapter 27 as we see this dysfunction on display in the family. It says, Esau was 40 years old. He took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. We're going to see that Esau has no interest whatsoever in the things of God. In fact, goes against God's command about marriage between one man and one woman. Marries two Hittite women, foreigners for them at this point in time. It says in verse 35, life for Isaac and Rebekah is incredibly bitter. The home is not a wonderful place that it should be for them as followers of God. In fact, it is a dark place. It is a place, as we've seen earlier in the text, where there is sibling rivalry going on. We saw previously that Isaac and Rebekah have favorite sons. 
And the rivalry that's at play brings destruction within the home. I want you to notice in verses 1 through 4, as we think about God being in control, even in the midst of what we're going to see take place, I want to remind you of this first truth. God is not in need of a makeover. God is not in need of a makeover. I want you to notice what happens in verses 1 through 4. Isaac was old. His eyes, the scripture says, were dim. He could not see. So he calls Esau his older son. Remember, the text had previously said that was also his favorite son. So he calls Esau to himself and he says to him, I know that I'm about to die. And before I die, I want to bless you. You think, man, that's not that big of a deal. No, this is a huge deal in this moment. He simply wasn't saying, I want to say my final goodbyes to you before I leave this earth. What he was saying is, I want the covenant promise of God that came to me because I'm the son of Abraham to be transferred now to you, Esau, so that you can carry that on. I want to bless you. Well, here's the problem. In Genesis chapter 25, as these two children were wrestling in the womb of their mother, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau, if you remember, she goes to the Lord and says, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And the Lord says very plainly to her and to Isaac that the sons are at war within you. They represent two nations. The younger will rule over the older. Clearly laying out that God's plan moving forward was not that Esau would be the one who would carry on the covenant promise of God, but it would be Jacob, the younger son. But notice here that Isaac, knowing that, still attempts to give the promise to Esau to bless him. Isaac, in fact, attempted to sidestep God's plan. He wanted to bless Esau instead of Jacob. He wanted to see the covenant promise go through Esau instead of Jacob. In fact, you could look and say, in this moment, Isaac has rolling through his head. I know what God has said. But let's change this up a bit. Let's give God a makeover. He, he doesn't know what I know. He doesn't see what I'm seeing. Let's bless Esau instead of Jacob in this moment. Now we look at that and we think, what a dumb idea. Like if God has said it, we should follow with that, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense. But let me caution us for just a second. And ask us the question, where are you and where am I tempted to sidestep God's plan in an effort to get what we want or possibly to avoid criticism in this world in which we live? 
Where are the places in our life where we kind of sit back for a bit and go, man, maybe God needs a makeover. Maybe the plan and the purpose of God is not really what we want to be after. Let's just kind of shift this a bit. Maybe it's in a phrase that is absolutely terrible theology. But believers use it all the time. Well, God just wants me to be happy. You ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever said that? Right? In a number of different areas. Someone steals money and says, well, you know, I I know God wants me to be happy. Or someone leaves their spouse. And the argument is, well, God wants me to be happy. When in reality, the truth is, we think God needs a makeover. And God doesn't need a makeover. God's word is true, and his plan and his purpose are true. And for us as followers of Jesus, we are called to line up behind what God is doing. I think about this in relation to the church. There are a number of so-called believers in the world in which we live who are compromising the truth of God's word in an effort to gain cultural approval on issues like marriage, on issues like abortion, on issues like care for the poor, on issues that we look at and say God's word is crystal clear on these issues, and yet they think, ah, maybe God just needs a makeover. And like Isaac, they say, we're just going to sidestep what God's word says in an effort to be accepted in the culture in which we live. And church, for us, that is where we must be on guard. As a church family, but as individual believers within this body and within this world, we must realize and understand that God does not need a makeover. God does not need us seeking to sidestep His plan and His purpose and His word in an effort To either make ourselves feel comfortable or make the world around us feel comfortable. Or to be accepted by the world in which we live. We are reminded God's word is going to be offensive. God's word was offensive to you when you didn't know Jesus Christ as your savior. And yet what we've seen as we have trusted Christ is how good God's word is. It brings life. For Isaac in this moment, he tried to sidestep what God desired to do. Here's what the text doesn't say. God was in heaven going, oh no, what do we do? But if you think the dysfunction stops there, it doesn't. I want you to notice in verses 5 through 17 what transpires. It says that Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. 
Just kind of imagine this with me, if you will, that Rebecca has her ear to the door and is listening to what's going on. And it says, when Esau went to the field, she called Jacob and said, we have a problem. Your father is about to mess this up. And she develops this plan of how she's going to fix the situation that they are about to enter into. Notice, she says here, we're going we're gonna to lie to him. We're going to trick him. We're going to make you look like your brother, feel like your brother, smell like your brother. I'm going to cook a meal that's going to taste like the food that your brother would go kill and bring and cook. And we're going to trick your father into doing what God wants him to do anyway. Think about that. Here's the second truth that we see in these verses. God is not in need of a mechanic. God is not in need of a mechanic. God does not need us to sit back and diagnose what's going wrong around us and try to fix it for him. If we approach God with that mentality, we minimize who God is and what God is doing. Now for you and for I, me, we need a mechanic. We need someone who can diagnose the problem of our vehicle and be able to fix what's wrong. But hear me this morning. God does not need a mechanic. Rebecca thought that she could diagnose the problem with God's plan. Notice here, she's not able to see what God is able to see in this moment. And she thinks, I've got to stop this from happening. In fact, she probably even spiritualized it. God wants me to stop this from happening. But think about the way in which she tried to do it. Warren Wiersbe said, faith is living without scheming. Faith Trust in God and what he's up to is living without scheming. The problem is Rebecca in this moment is seeking to scheme to accomplish what she thinks God wants her to do. All the while deceiving her husband in the midst of it. Think about how dysfunctional this is. Think about her in this moment explaining this to God. God, I don't know if you heard this or not. Isaac is going to bless Esau. And God, I know I got to stop that. And so God, I'm going to lie to help you fix your problem. And we look at that and we think, how crazy to convince yourself that that's what you should be doing and then we look at our lives and if we're not careful we find ourselves in that same place so let me ask you that question where are you tempted to diagnose the problem with how God is at work 
and try to fix it your way. You say, Pastor, I'm in church. I don't do that. Right? Let me just think that in your relationships. Instead of trusting that God is at work, you seek to scheme to accomplish what you think God wants to be accomplished. Do that in relation with your kids. Do that in relation with your spouse. God wants my spouse to grow in the Lord, and therefore I need to trick him into growing in the Lord, and that honors the Lord, right? You know, what's interesting in this is it reminds me of a couple of years ago when I went in to see the doctor, and I said, here's the problem that I'm having, and here are the three things that I think it may be. And church, I had researched on WebMD, the disease of the day, right? I had figured out, typed in my symptoms, and I knew that it was everything from cancer to I'm going to die, right? I mean, that was it. So I go in and I said, here are my symptoms. Here are the three things that I think it could be. And the doctor started laughing. I was highly offended in that moment. And I think, no, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what my problem is. I'm telling you what's going on with me. And the doctor said, which website did you look up? I said, well, WebMD, of course. He started laughing. He said, everybody comes in with that same thing. He said, what's interesting is I actually went to medical school and here's your problem, and here's some medicine to fix it. And here I was trying to scheme on my own part to figure this out and to come to the doctor and say, here's my problem, and here's how it can be fixed. And the reality is the doctor was sitting back going, that's not your problem at all. You're an idiot, but that's not your problem. (laughs) Your problem is this, and here's how it is to be fixed, and for us, as we think about our lives in relationship with the Lord, if we're not careful, we, like Rebecca, will seek to do the exact same thing as God is at work around us and in us. To diagnose, God, here's how you're doing this and shouldn't be, and here's a plan to fix it. As we look at the text, you would think, man, this is pretty bad, but it gets worse. Verse 18, Jacob, after listening to his mom's advice, looking at what's going on, it says, he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, notice, I am Esau, your firstborn. He lied. I have done as you told me. Lied again. Sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Notice verse 20. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? It's like, man, that was really fast. That was a quick hunting trip. And there are no quick hunting trips, right? 
How is it that you found it so quickly? Notice, he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. In this moment, Jacob says, I'm Esau, and God has blessed what I've done, and here I am ready for you to bless me. And he had fixed himself up so that he was wearing Esau's clothes, so that he had taken the skin of the goats and had put it on his hands and on his neck so that he felt like Esau, he smelled like Esau, he brought game like Esau would have brought. And in this moment, I think probably heeding the voice of Rebecca and trying to make sure that he was able to obtain what God had promised that he would obtain, he seeks to manipulate the situation that he's in. If you're taking notes, here's the third truth. God is not in need of a manipulator. God is not in need of a manipulator to accomplish his plan and his purpose. As we look at this, I want you, if you know your Old Testament, to contrast the way in which Jacob responds here to the way in which David responded after being anointed as king of Israel, even though Saul was still in power. If you know the story as it plays out, many of the Psalms record David as he's walking through that situation. At no point, even when he had opportunity, did David seek to manipulate the situation so that he could obtain the promise that God had given him. What did David do? He waited on the Lord to accomplish his plan and his purpose. It's interesting, as you look, that's not at all what Jacob does in this moment, he seeks to manipulate the situation to accomplish God's plan. But here's the thing we must remember. Certainly, we want God's plan to be accomplished, but for us as followers of Jesus, we want God's plan accomplished in our lives in God's way. God's plan, God's way. Let me ask you the question, where are you tempted to manipulate people or circumstances and call it God's plan? I think about it in the life of our church and in the life of other churches, reading through church history, one of the things that you see on display in churches, especially during revival situations, is a manipulation of people to get them to respond to an altar call. And church, we offer that every single week, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. But hear me this morning, we are not going to try to manipulate you and get you to come. In fact, there are churches who have it set up. They have decoys sitting throughout the audience. And when the invitation is given, they stand up and walk down front. They've set them there on the, in the beginning of the service in an effort to try to manipulate and get people to move. And the reality is God doesn't need us to manipulate so that he can move. Parents, let me caution you as we head into this holiday season, especially as we head into Christmas season. 
that you don't manipulate your kids in an effort to get them to behave. He's got a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or not, right? I think all of us are probably guilty at some point of that, but let me caution us because if we're not careful, our kids will associate that with God as well. That God will reward them if they behave. God will hate them if they don't behave. God does not need us to manipulate people so that he can work. I want you to know that as we continue working our way through Genesis chapter 27, we see that after Esau finds out about what transpired, the blessing comes to Jacob through his father Esau in verse 30, finds out. It says his brother came in from his hunting. He had prepared delicious food. He brought it to his father and he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you would bless me. His father says in verse 32, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled very violently and says, who was it that came in? As soon as Esau, in verse 34, heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also. But Isaac said, your brother came in deceitfully. He has taken away your blessing. Esau says, is his name not accurate? He's a cheat. He's a swindler. He's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now he has taken away my blessing And in this, Isaac still takes an opportunity to bless Esau, but reminds him that he would serve his younger brother. And in verse 41, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau says, I'll fix this. As we think about the fourth truth, God is not in need of a manager. Because notice what happens. He says, I'm going to wait until the days of mourning for my father are over, and then I'm going to kill this son, the one to whom the promise is meant. I'm going to kill him. Which, if we think about it, means what? Well, God's plan, if that happens, is thwart it. In this moment, Rebecca finds out, sends Jacob away. You may think, well, that accomplished what God desired, and ultimately it did. But I want you to remember that God is not in need of a manager. God is not in need of someone who is orchestrating events so that he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. If you remember and are thankful for anything this season as we approach Thanksgiving this coming Thursday, as a follower of Jesus, be thankful that God is able to accomplish what he desires to accomplish 
regardless of what is going on around us. He does not need our help, though He invites us in to what He's doing, and it does not matter how bad things get, God's plan will not be thwarted by opposition. Even in all of the dysfunction we see in the text this morning, here is the thing we can walk away with and cling to as followers of Jesus. God is in control. As people are seeking to sidestep His plan, God is in control. As people are seeking to scheme to accomplish what they think God wants them to accomplish, God is still in control. As people are seeking to manipulate situations and people, God is in control. As people are seeking to come against and to thwart what God is doing, church, God is in control. We can sit as thankful followers of Jesus because our God is in control. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As our worship team makes their way back up, as you have an opportunity to respond to the Lord right now, you may be here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want to encourage you as you think about what you've heard this morning, you have seen on display that God is in control. And you have heard that God is moving things in one direction. And that is the ultimate rule and reign of Jesus Christ for all eternity. You have this moment as a gift to you today to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. We'd love nothing more than to help you take that step today. If you're a follower of Jesus already, I want to encourage you to rest and to be thankful that your God is in control. That regardless of what happens around you, regardless of what happens in you, that God is not in need and God will not be opposed. He will accomplish what He desires to accomplish. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us and reminds us of who you are and what you're doing in this world in which we live. God, help us as followers of Jesus to be thankful and to rest, God, in who you are and what you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? Our altar's open. You have an opportunity to respond this morning as the Lord leads.